Revelation chapter 7, beginning at verse 15. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. May the Lord add his richest blessing to the reading of his word this morning. Thank you. You may be seated. In Revelation chapter 7, we have seen and heard a praise, an anthem of praise that actually began in Revelation chapter 5. And then, of course, we had some of the judgments that began to fall, and we had the wrath of Satan or the evil one, the world that was being poured out upon mankind. And then we had, of course, in the fifth seal, we find the saints who were under the altar, the tribulation saints. And now we have come to chapter 7 and we have found right from the very beginning that God has chosen a people unto himself. But this sevenfold praise that we read this last week and we spoke about, I would like to just read this to you again from verse 12, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Rightly did Isaiah say that there is no God like our God. There are many gods that are found in the world. In fact, if you were to go to the country of India, anybody here ever been to India? Had the privilege of traveling there? They have over 8 million named gods in India alone. And not one of them can take a single Indian to heaven. (coughs) Only the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ can accomplish this. So we had the sevenfold praise to the Almighty that has been lifted up and its anthem rings throughout all of heaven. The prayers of the saints of all ages have now been fulfilled as we come to these last three verses. Throughout history, many are the prayers that have been wept, many unheard, but to the Good Shepherd. Much and mighty has been the comfort of the flock as believers have awaited the redemption of the body and soul. For over two years now here at YBC, we have lifted up our troubled brothers and sisters and the persecuted church around the world in prayer every week in our Wednesday prayer meeting as well as on Sundays. We pray for them and we also pray for those who persecute them as we are commanded to do by Scripture. But we also seek to understand because we also pray as was prayed throughout the scriptures, O Lord or O Yahweh, O self-existent one, O one who exists above and beyond all peoples, how long? Now I want you to understand that there's nothing wrong with us coming before God and seeking to understand why he does what he does. Of course, we cannot know what God does, but I can tell you that there's nothing wrong with us going to him and asking him, Lord, why is this allowed to happen? And if we begin to understand the sovereignty of God more and more on a daily basis, we will understand, hopefully as you will see by the end of this message, that God does all things to all people at all times for one purpose, and that is namely to bring honor and glory to himself. That's the purpose that God has for everything. So we don't go to God to question him, to ask him why, as though we are demanding an answer from the Almighty, but we do go to him because we seek to understand. It's been 2,000 years of Earth's history or church of church history, I should say. And, and during that 2,000 years of church history, there are tens of thousands of people who have crossed the line from life into death 
simply because of the testimony that they held for the name of Jesus Christ. And we keep asking, Lord, how long? Do you remember, some of you are, are old enough to remember when, the, uh, when, when they actually had, it was live on air, and I think there were some stations that actually got caught out by it when the Christians who were on the beach in Egypt were actually executed in front of the world live. Does anybody else remember that event happening? A few of you did. Now it's not up to me to determine whether they were true believers in the Lord Jesus Christ or not. But I can say that if they do, or if they were faithful to God and his word, if they did at some point place their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the moment they took their last breath here, they stood forever in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the same reward that every one of us have if you're a true believer here this morning. Now, I don't mean by a true believer that you go to church or that you come here or that you go to another church or that you give in the offering. In fact, if you're not a believer, we would rather you not give in the offering. The offering is for those who wish to support the ministry of God's work here at Yellowstone Baptist Church and around the world. Oh Lord, how long? I remember watching the news when that transpired and I wondered... Lord, how many more Christians have to go through the pains of persecution, of turmoil, of tribulation, of being willing to give their lives before you return? We have talked about it. I've heard many of you say it as well. We look forward. We long for the day when we are taken out of this life where we are forever with the Lord. What a glorious day that's going to be. When our Jesus we shall see, as the hymn says, when we look upon his face, the one who saved us, by his grace. That is what we should be looking for. We are just strangers and pilgrims walking through this land. David prayed while playing on a stringed instrument in Psalm 6 verse 3. My soul also is greatly troubled, but you, O Lord. And there's a pause and he asks, how long? You see, trials and tribulations are nothing new, Brother Sam. They happen to every generation. They happen to every age. And people struggle. Some of you here, you've already come in this morning, and I can tell on your faces that you're struggling with something. It could be emotional turmoil. It could be financial. It could be spiritual. It could be mental. I don't, it could be physical. I don't know what is going on, but the Lord does. And the reason that we go through all of these troubles, one of my daughters was asking me this last week, well, why did these things happen? And I said, ultimately, because of sin in the world. One day, even this world, Romans chapter 8 makes it very clear that even creation itself longs to be released. Any of you aware of the earthquake that took place on Wednesday or Thursday here in Wyoming? <coughs> no? You slept right through it? It was in the middle of the day. It was actually a 3.3 earthquake happened over by Pinedale, I think, somewhere, and there were two quick aftershocks, 2.7 and 2.8. Hardly, I mean, you would have to be right there probably standing on top of the epicenter for you to even feel it. <coughs> but the world itself groans because one day there will be a new heaven and a new earth, and the reason these things take place is because sin has inhabited the world. That's why we have thorns on roses. It's why we have weeds. It's why we have sickness. It's why we get up in the morning and we look in the mirror and we see more gray hair or we see more wrinkles. Even before David. Listen to what Moses said. In Psalm 90 verse 13, the only psalm that is attributed to Moses, return, O Lord, O Yahweh, how long? And then he concludes, have pity on your servant. An unknown, un, an unknown psalmist said in Psalm 94, verse 3, O Lord, O Yahweh, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked exult? If you have never read through the Psalms, I would encourage you to do so. There, there are some Psalms that we can even take great comfort in, even in the ones that we call, we were talking about this a couple of weeks ago, the imprecatory Psalms. Now, some of you may not be aware of what that word is, but the imprecatory psalms are the psalms whereby uh, the, the psalmist David or whoever was writing the sons of Korah, the sons of Asaph, 
they are writing and they are saying, Lord, prepare your bow. Strike the mighty down with your bow and arrow. That kind of stuff. Now, I think that it's important that when we go to God that we recognize that we are not the ultimate judge. That belongs to God alone. Only God can bring revenge. Only God brings vengeance to the world. Only God, as he says here, and again in Psalm 94.3, how long shall the wicked exult? Do you remember what the psalmist said in Psalm 2? Look over at Psalm 2 with me. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them, (coughs) excuse me, in derision. In a recent message, we looked at Revelation chapter 6, verses 9 through 10, and we heard the multitudes of our persecuted Christian family. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness that they had borne. And they cried with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long? before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth. If you do not hear anything else today, or maybe you're not paying close attention to the message, I want you to understand something this morning. There is coming a time when the sheep will be separated from the goats. There will not be any doubt whatsoever like there may be when we come to church and we wonder, is so-and-so actually a true believer? Is there anything in their life that reflects the Lord Jesus Christ? When we stand before God, God knows his sheep. He knows those who belong to him. And I think it's important that you and I understand, number one, if you and I are a true believer and we are looking on at that great white throne judgment and we are seeing those family members, our colleagues, our neighbors, our moms, our dads, our grandparents, our grandchildren, our children, who will be thrown forever away from God and from His holiness and from the perfection of heaven, and they are cast into the lake of fire. We who are believers will see and know finally and for all of eternity that God is just that God is right, that God is holy, and that God is perfect in all of his dealings. That's hard for us to understand as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. But it would not remain heaven for one second into eternity if God allowed any unconfessed, unrepentant, unpaid for sin to enter into heaven. It would no longer be heaven. If you are not sure this morning that you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, that you have ever come to the point where beside yourself, nothing nothing within you is good enough for God, and you have brought to that point where you have confessed your sin, you have repented and turned from your sin, Jesus Christ is the Lord and master of your life. The Bible says that today is the day of salvation, not tomorrow. You have no guarantee for tomorrow. The precious picture of a lamb and a shepherd here in this passage resonate throughout both the Old Testament and the New Testament. In the first word, we have a lamb that represents all who would come by faith to Jesus Christ. Listen to Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6 and 7. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. 
yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before it shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. But we also hear the word lamb, and it refers to the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to this commentary. Quote, Although the world is rocking and reeling, and by the way, this was written over 130 years ago. Although the world is rocking and reeling and its very foundations are crumbling at the center of the universe, God's eternal throne is still as solid and secure as ever. God is sovereign and the Lamb is still Savior and everything is under perfect control. Whereas Jesus was referred to as a lamb once in the Old Testament in Isaiah chapter 53 verse 7, twice in the Gospels in John chapter 1 verse 29 and 36, and once in the Epistles, 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 19, he is referred to as the lamb 28 times in the book of Revelation. End quote. But then we come to the use of the word shepherd. And almost 50 times throughout Scripture, we read of God being referred to as a shepherd. Why a shepherd? He is not called a pope or a cardinal or a vicar, but he is called the shepherd. A shepherd, as John lays out in John chapter 10, verse 11 and verse 14, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. What a precious promise. To know that our lives, our souls, everything about us are secure in the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ, our shepherd. Coming to the end of his life, the beloved and faithful apostle John now wraps up both of these terms as he sees the vision of Jesus Christ. He sees both the lamb, meek and lowly, who was led to the slaughter, and also the great shepherd who gave his life for the sheep. And it's interesting that there is no other place in Scripture that I have been able to find that shows Jesus as both lamb and shepherd other than this verse in Revelation 7 verse 17. As the glorious Lord brings comfort to those who are known, called, and loved from all eternity by the eternal shepherd. Let's look firstly at the shepherd's sovereignty. Verse 15, therefore they are before the throne of God. Before the throne of God. We have sung that hymn before in Christ alone. Before the throne of God I have a perfect plea. For this reason is the word here for this reason or therefore. Anytime you see the word therefore, look to see what it is therefore in the scriptures. And the reason that this is here today is because why are they before the throne? These saints who are gathered here because they have been granted the right to do so as their robes have been made white in the blood of the Lamb. There is no other reason why you and I will be allowed access into heaven if you think you can get in apart from the blood of Jesus Christ granting you the robes of his righteousness. Throughout scripture we find that God is sovereign in all things and with all people and for whatever purpose he wishes to fully accomplish as we mentioned earlier, namely to bring honor and glory for himself. And it is here in this beautiful picture that we see the lamb receiving the reward that is due to him alone. God shares and will share his glory with nobody. He takes it for himself. And rightfully so because it only belongs to him. Listen to Ephesians chapter 1 verse 18. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glory and inheritance in the saints? Paul talks about this to the church at Thessalonica. He says, for what is our hope? What is our glory? It is you. 
There is nothing that we have in this life that we can take with us. But when we are sharing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, when we are telling you repeatedly the good news, when you're sharing that with others, when you are living a life that is pleasing to him, the lamb will one day receive all the glory that is due his name. We are his inheritance. The shepherd's sovereignty is often misunderstood or we like to try to bring it down to human terms. What what does this mean by sovereign? Does it mean that I'm free to do this or I'm free to do that and then God can do this as long as I allow him to do this? No, that is not sovereignty. God does what he wills. Daniel chapter 4, even King Nebuchadnezzar understood that. Secondly, we find not only the shepherd's sovereignty, but we find the shepherd's servants. The servant is not above his or her master. And through all of history, we read of people who God called to worship and to serve him. Hebrews 11 is a great reminder of those who have come and those who have gone. And then Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 continues, seeing then that we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, those who have gone before us. Maybe you have heard this illustration of two Moravian missionaries many years ago in the 1700s, early 1700s. And according to the story As it was told, there were two men. One was about 35, the other was about 37, and both surrendered their lives to go to be a missionary to the Caribbean or to the West Indies as they were known. They were told that they would never be able to go unless they went as slaves. And so both of these men, not having any family, said, we will surrender our lives even if it means selling ourselves into perpetual slavery in this life in order that we may go to declare the gospel to the heathen. That's a pretty powerful statement. The missionary zeal that they had and the missionary zeal that these two individuals known now but to God for over 300 years now has revealed the story that as they stood on the ship, they didn't end up going as slaves because nobody would buy a white man. So they plied their trade and went down there and it was the last time they were seen in their home. But as they stood on the ship, as it departed from the wharf, headed for the unknown and believing what it would, they would, or what they believed would be the last time that they would ever look on the faces of their loved ones, they raised their fists to heaven and cried, May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. You see, this is it. They were deeply in love with Jesus Christ. They were deeply in love with the slain lamb. They cherished the love that he showed on the cross, thunderously affirmed his infinite worth, and passionately desired that he would have what he deserved, the reward of his suffering. There's a reason why we mention these countries. There's a reason why most of us will never have an opportunity to be able to visit these countries. But there are people that will be in heaven from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. We have a responsibility to pray for these nations. We have a responsibility, if we are able to go, to share the gospel. Why? It's not so that we get a pat on the back. It's because the Lamb alone deserves His reward. Before the throne, the word here means in that place which is before and implies that towards which another turns his eyes. In that day, we will say as those faithful servants did in Luke chapter 17 and verse 10, so you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, will say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. Do you remember the account? Do you remember the landowner who goes and he sends his servants and he sends one to go collect the rent and he comes back and he's all beaten up and then he sends another one 
And that one comes back all beaten up. And the third one gets sent down. Do you think he knew what happened to the first two? Sure did. Third guy comes back in a body bag. This ain't such a great deal. So the next morning he gets up and he says, I still have to collect the rent. I still have to get what is due to me, what is owed me, to the honor that is due my name. And the landlord turns and he says, I want you to go to the next servant. Does the next servant have a right to decline? No. The next servant goes knowing whether by life or by death he belongs to the master. That's what you and I need to realize with our lives, that no matter what we struggle with, no matter where we're at in life, we belong to him. And whatever comes into your life, whether good or bad, as we read in Genesis chapter 50, Joseph said, you meant it to me for evil, but God meant it for what? Good. Before the throne these saints serve him forever. To serve means to render or to give religious service or homage to worship. It, you know, Brother Diego, we have talked about this a number of times. It, it never ceases to amaze me how we can call ourselves Christians and yet struggle to want to give worship and homage and religious service to the one who gave his life for us. And yet we struggle. I recognize that we struggle with things in our life. I recognize that things don't go the way that we always want them to. But I think part of the problem is we end up taking our eyes off the cross, we take our eyes off the eternal lamb, and we find ourselves looking at what the world has to offer. And what the world has to offer is nothing but trinkets. It's fake gold. These saints not only serve him forever, these are... This is us, those who are true believers. We will not only serve him forever, but we will serve in his temple. And here we find the saints serving our Lord in the holiest of places. This is the temple of the new Jerusalem and a place where no sin may abide. I was reading this morning and my reading as I'm going through the scriptures again and I'm in, in the Old Testament, I'm in the book of Numbers and it gave a long list of all the do's and the don'ts and the things that the priest <coughs> excuse me, could do and, and couldn't do every week when, when he would go or once a year and, and all of these things. And, and if he didn't do them right, he would die. And then my New Testament reading finds me in the book of Hebrews. A much better has come. The Lord Jesus Christ has come and we serve him because we are covered by a blood that will no longer ever die. We don't have to worry about the blood of bulls and of goats. We don't have to worry about giving an offering because Christ, the eternal Son of God, gave himself as that offering so that we would never have to kill another animal. Thirdly, we find the shepherd's shelter. He who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. And here we find, thirdly, the shepherd's shelter. Years ago, my dad was stationed in Iceland, and we were there for three years. He had an accompanied tour. And it's interesting because there are many events that took place in Iceland that I can remember just like they were yesterday or maybe a week ago. And I was only four or five maybe when we moved there. But I can remember one time my mom and dad had made the comment that uh, we were going to go on a picnic. And uh, so the day came and like many days in Iceland, it was dreary. The temperature probably wasn't above about 40 degrees. Those of you from Alaska, you will know probably what that is like. And so one of mom and dad's kids, I won't tell you it was me, but I complained and complained and complained. And finally dad said, okay, we're going on a picnic. So mom made some sandwiches. They made a thermos with some hot tea in it. And we took off down the road in our 
whatever it was, VW, uh, it was a VW uh, station wagon, the old bubble style station wagon car. And we drove and drove and drove and the rain just got harder and harder and harder. And the wind blew and blew and blew and it got worse. It was a lot like Wyoming. <laughs> the sun never came out. And so mom and dad are talking back and forth and I remember overhearing them and them saying, well, maybe we should just go back home. But you said... And so we stopped. And there was a little bit of a break in the weather. And I can remember that we were sitting there. We've got pictures of this event. I should have actually put one of them up here. But I can remember my dad going and we stopped where there was there are many sheep in Iceland. And so my dad went and got these great big corrugated pieces of tin to surround us. And we're wearing parkas <laughs> and sitting on a blanket getting wet through the blanket and enjoying this, well, I wouldn't say enjoying, but having this picnic that had been promised to us and it was just miserable. Every time I think of the shepherd and I think of the shelter that he provides, there are times that we find ourselves sitting on the ground getting wet there are times that we find ourselves wondering where maybe our next meal might come from or, or where the provisions for whatever it is that we need in our life. But I can assure you that he has already provided. He already knows what you need. He already knows and despite the fact that we don't like the circumstances, God always comes through on his word and on his promises to us. The word here with his presence simply means that he will spread his tabernacle or his tent over them so that they may dwell in safety and security under its protection and cover. Just like we sat there on that day and these pieces of tin are not even keeping the wind and the rain off of us, my dad sought to protect us from the wind as much as he possibly could. And just like there are times when that wind is going to come through and you can't stop it, you and I are going to be, we heard about this in James this morning, we are going to be beaten down by the winds of life. The question we have to ask ourselves is, are we willing to trust that he knows what is best? You see, John goes on and he tells them, there's going to be no more hunger, no more thirst. Do you remember what he said to, Jesus said to the woman at the well in John chapter 4, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And this woman says, give it to me. You see, she wanted an easy route out to begin with. And then Jesus says, well, why don't you go call your husband? And now he begins to get to the root of the problem. And she says, well, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says and reveals himself to her. Yes, you're right. You don't have a husband. In fact, you've had five already. And the man you're living with is not your husband. What does she do? Picks up her skirt, runs back into town. And she says to the people in the town, come here a man who told me everything that I have ever done. Now, we can chalk it up to John not repeating every single thing that he heard that particular day. But the reality is, I don't believe that Jesus actually gave her a catalog of all 20, 30, 40 years of her life. I believe what happened was that when she came under the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and he revealed to her her need, she realized how far she was from him. There will be no more hunger, no more thirst. We will want for nothing. There is no fear of destruction that we should have to worry about. John chapter 3 verse 18, whoever believes in him is not what? Condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. Do you notice the requirements there are not that you do, 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 or don't, don't, don't. The story is told of a 
pastor many years ago in the 1800s who was on a train and a Buddhist got on the train and he came up to him and he said to him, Sir, can I ask you a question? I recognize that you're a minister. He said, can you tell me what the difference is between my religion and yours? And this man thought for a moment and the preacher responded and he said, yes. Two letters. He said, you see, your religion, the Buddhist religion, tells you if you do, 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 and don't, 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 then maybe one day you might attain nirvana. He said, but... My religion is spelled D-O-N-E. Done. Finished. By the work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. If you are depending on anything other than Jesus Christ, you will not gain access to heaven. Galatians chapter 3 verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Do you know what the difference is between this cross and a lot of crosses that you see? Uh, Brother Frank and, and Sister Carol just came back from a long trip back to the Philippines. You can probably go into just about every church and see crosses that are encrust, encrusted with gold and jewels and, and all kinds of stuff like many countries. You know, the cross was a curse. Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, had to go to the cross to be able to atone for the wrath of God. It wasn't a pretty picture. And he did this for you and I. I want to wrap this up this morning with point number four. The shepherd's care. Look again at verse 17. For the lamb is in the midst of the throne or for the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd and he will guide them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. I want you to see firstly the rightful lamb. Of all the religions in the world, not one has ever started with an eternal plan to bring salvation to those separated from the holiness of God. Some of you have family or friends who are LDS. The LDS claim, and we do not hate those who practice that religion any more than we hate anybody who practices any other religion. But we are required by the scriptures to tell you the truth. And their claim that a man became or can become a God or that you can become a God is false. No little God ever became man and no man ever became God. No man made religion has ever made it possible to be considered holy by being clothed with the righteousness of another one who stood in your place. And no other religion ever saw God become man in order to stand condemned for that sinful man. You see, it would behoove us every time we see a cross. If you see it on a worker, you're out somewhere and you see the cross, Ask yourself and then ask God to give you the courage to say, do you understand what that cross means? Do you understand why that cross is so important to me? Do you understand who Jesus Christ really is? You see, all the religions in the world, they'll give you their opinion of who Christ is. He was a good man. He was a prophet. He was this. He was that. No, we need to understand that salvation does not come and cannot come if you and I do not understand that Jesus Christ is God. Not only is he the rightful lamb, but secondly, we find these saints that are guided beside still waters. And I believe here, John has given a picture of how, just a little glimpse of how glorious heaven will be. 
The words used here mean to be a guide and to lead on one's way, and there will never be a time when his flock will not be in the presence of the shepherd lamb, the eternal lamb. In fact, in eternity, there will be no more time. No sun or moon or stars to guide our actions as they are now. There will be no more seasons. There will be no more need for sleep as we will abide forever in Jesus Christ, our eternal Sabbath. The moment every sinner crosses the line from these shadow lands into eternity, our first, second, while fleeting here on earth, in heaven will simply last forever. It will never end. When we go to an appointment and you go see a doctor, you go see some, somebody in a professional field and you go in there and you set an appointment for them. Now one of the things that irritates me is you go and you see a doctor and the appointment is at such and such a time or, or a lawyer or an accountant and then you know two, three hours later you eventually get seen. Sometimes that happens. And then you go in there and you sit down and, and then you get to talk with the doctor maybe for five or ten minutes. And then you get a bill for like hours. When we stand before God, time will completely cease and we will only see the presence of Jesus. We will enjoy Him forever. What is the first question of the catechism? What is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Whom have I, Psalm 73, the psalmist wrote, Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. You know, we can't go through a single day without desiring food or companionship or whatever it may be that is that we desire in our life. Can you imagine how wonderful it will be to cross the great divide, to stand before God and only desire Him? That's amazing. Finally, John concludes and he says there will be no more tears. In other words, there'll be no more sorrow. As John concludes this chapter, I believe we get a glimpse of what is coming in Revelation chapter 21. This word actually means to smear out, to obliterate or to erase tears. Figuratively, it refers to the pardon of sin. In other words, just as our sins are blotted out, so too will any remaining tears and sorrow will be removed. In the presence of the shepherd lamb, there will be nothing but true eternal joy. Philippians chapter 4 verse 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. There will come a day when that rejoicing will be forever. I would like you to open your Bibles to one more passage that we are going to conclude with this morning. My dad is doing a series on Wednesday nights in our Bible study and prayer time from Psalm 23. And I want to conclude, I'm going to read this from the Legacy Standard Bible this morning. But as you contemplate every one of these phrases, I want you to think about what it means to truly be one with the eternal shepherd. I want you to think what it means to have the lamb who died for you on the cross of Calvary who shed his blood be the same one who for all of eternity will never have, or there will never be anything that will make you want One day the words in Psalm 23 of written by the sweet songwriter of Israel will find their full and final fulfillment. And I want you to heed these words this morning. A Psalm of David. Yahweh is my shepherd. 
He is my eternal shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures and leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You, the eternal shepherd, you have anointed my head with oil and my cup overflows. As we sang in the hymn right before the message, Surely, goodness and mercy, surely goodness and loving kindness will pursue me all the days of my life. And I and all of God's children will dwell in the house of Yahweh forever. You know what's amazing to me? The Yahweh, the great I am, the one who is self-existent, the one who doesn't need us to be God, the one who doesn't need anything, the one who doesn't need the angels, he doesn't need creation, he doesn't need the earth, he doesn't need any of the minerals that are here, he doesn't need the cattle on a thousand hills, and he doesn't need the hills or the gold that is in them. That he, God, would come down to this earth, would humble himself, take on the form of a man, to be the perfect lamb, the perfect sacrifice, knowing full well what this world, what you and I, what our sins would do to him, and yet still promise, Brother Mike, to his disciples, one day I'm coming back again for you. I mean, you talk about a rowdy bunch of guys. I mean, the disciples weren't the best, best guys in the block. Look at what Peter did. Look what all those disciples did. And yet Jesus says, if I go not away, I won't come again. But I'm not going to leave you by yourself. I'm going to send the third person of the Trinity. I'm going to send God the Holy Spirit to be your comforter as a down payment for what is coming. We talk about the wonders of heaven. We can't begin to understand how wonderful heaven truly is going to be. But even if there were no streets of gold, even if there were no single jewels that make up each separate gate that goes the 12 gates into the city, Jesus Christ will be there and that will be enough. So may the Lamb receive the reward of His suffering. And one day you and I will have the privilege of standing there, bowing before the throne, and for all of eternity, we will sing, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. Let's pray. Father, this morning I stand before you unworthy. Apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, none of us are worthy. And yet, not only have you loved us and set your love upon us and eternal love, but you even left to go and prepare a place for us in the Father's house. One day you will return and all will be made right. There will be a new heaven. There will be a new earth. One thing that will never change is that the eternal Lamb of God, the eternal shepherd of our souls will be the same shepherd, will be the same Lamb. Lord, we ask, as other saints have done down through the centuries, O oh Lord, how long? 
We long to be free from this world. We long to be free from the turmoil and the sin and everything that surrounds us here. But, O Lord, it is in your timing alone. Whenever our life ends here and we step into eternity, all of the struggles that we've had here, as Paul said, will be but light afflictions. We are thankful for the words of the psalmist in Psalm 23. Whether by life or by death, whether we walk through the valley of the shadow of death or whether we are just walking through the fields as Pilgrim did in Pilgrim's Progress, we know that we can rest securely in you. Yahweh, you, O Lord, you, the Eternal One, you are the self-existent one, you, the great I am, you who are the awesome God, because you are our shepherd, there's nothing that we need. There's nothing that we want. May you be glorified in every aspect of our lives today. I invite you to stand with me. Again, it has has been shared. If you have any questions of a spiritual nature, you're welcome to come and talk to us. We would love to be able to share the truth of God's word with you. For those of you who are believers this morning, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20 and 21 says this. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.